Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us in this place so that we might hear your word and receive your blessings. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly in this life and in this place that we live. But Lord, we confess that there are times when we are selfish with what you have given us. Teach us, Lord, uh, to have an open hand and to be gracious to those around us. And Lord, we pray that we would learn from your Son, Jesus Christ, who is gracious towards us. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I know what you were thinking as you came in here this morning. You came in here this morning, and this is what you were thinking. You were thinking, today I hope we get a practical sermon. Yes, 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 we've heard the good news. Our sins are forgiven. We are baptized. We belong to Jesus Christ. I believe that. It's wonderful. It's great. But you know, today I could go for some advice. Help me something to help me get through uh, the day today, because I've got a lot to worry about. I've got my family, I've got my job, I've got my finances. Oh, there it is, my finances. That would be great. Maybe Jesus could give me today a little bit of guidance with my finances, a couple of biblical principles to help me get my finances in order so I have some security. Sure, it's nice to know that Jesus is my Savior, but it would be really nice if he was my financial advisor. Oh no, that would be great. Jesus the financial advisor. Okay, maybe you weren't thinking exactly that. Uh, as you came in here this morning. Nonetheless, I do think very often uh, we come and, and we want something practical from Jesus. We want something from Jesus uh, to get us through the day-to-day -day and help us make some very practical decisions. However, whenever we want this, Jesus doesn't always act the way we want him to act. So we see our account today from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. A man comes to Jesus today in the Gospel of Luke, and he just wants some practical help from Jesus. He's just looking for some good, everyday guidance. The man comes to Jesus, and he says this. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That seems like a strange thing to tell Jesus to do, but you need to understand a little bit of the background here. Uh, this man comes to Jesus with this request because this man believes something about Jesus. He believes that Jesus is what we might say is a new Moses or like a king or a judge in the Old Testament. The job of Moses and the kings and the judges in the Old Testament was to sort of decide on matters taking place within the community. They were to settle disputes that were taking place among people. Moses did this. Again, the judges did this. The kings did this. And this man thinks, well, Jesus is my new Moses. So Jesus, here's a dispute I'm having in my family. Fix the problem. Do your job, Lord, and tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance. It's mine, after all, and I have a right to it. So let me have my part. Now, what could be more practical and more useful than this? Just think of all the problems Jesus would be fixing for this man. He could finally get his finances in order. That thing that's causing so much fighting in the family would be removed. Jesus would be restoring a family. 
just a word from this mediator, just a word from this arbitrator, and everything is going to be fixed. But as always is the case with Jesus, he's not going to do what you expect, nor is he going to say necessarily what you want him to say. And so Jesus looks at the man today and says, you don't know who you're talking to. He says, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? That is, I am not a new Moses. I'm not the sort of king you think I am. Jesus says, I'm here on a specific purpose, not to decide your family disputes. I'm here to die on the cross for the salvation of the world. I'm here to forgive sins, to set people free from their sins. And at this point in the reading, I often picture Jesus doing this. He's told the man, look, I'm not your arbitrator. And he's walking away, and then he he notices something. He smells something in the air, and he turns back around, and he looks at the man, and everybody's standing around with him, and he realizes that this man has a much bigger problem. Jesus can smell it in the air. It's an idol, an idol that needs to be crushed, a sin that needs to be exposed, and a man who is bound to this idolatrous sin who needs to be set free, even if Jesus has to do it in a rather painful way. So Jesus turns back around and he looks at the man and he looks at the crowd and perhaps he looks at you and I this morning and he says this to us. Now take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness, that is this sort of uh, insatiable desire for more stuff. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions unless you live in America. No, he doesn't say that last part. Man's life, one's life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And just in case Jesus hasn't really driven the point home well enough for you with that line, he then tells a parable that I'm afraid nails all of us to the wall. And the parable starts like this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now we don't want to move too quickly through the parable. We don't want to skip that part quite yet. A man received a huge production of food on his land. Notice this. He didn't work for it. He didn't go out and plow the land. The land just produced. He received it, we might say, as a gift from God. Everything was there for him, and it set him up so that he was financially secure, so financially secure that he could finally retire and be comfortable. So what does he do with this abundance that he has received by grace? Does he start to look to his neighbors who have need? Does he start to look at his family to see how he might support and help them out? Does he pray to God to see how he might be able to give back to the work of the Lord? No. He doesn't do any of that, Jesus says. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What does he do with his abundance? He hoards it. Now, I know we're not supposed to read the Bible and look for prophecies speaking directly about 21st century America, (laughs) but this one gets a little too close for comfort. He thinks only of himself. 
He discusses matters only with his own soul. And he decides to use this wealth only for himself. He's not going to share. He's not going to love others with it. And he's not going to honor God with it. He is going to lay it up for himself so that he can eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy his life uh, here on this earth. And just look how he gets to enjoy it. Jesus continues. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, I know gentle Jesus, meek and mild, fool seems a little bit harsh right here. But it is harsh. That's why it seems that way. Fool is that delightful word reserved in the Psalms for those people who say in their heart that there is no God. Thus, this man, this wealthy man, dealt with his wealth and his financial situation as if there was no God. He lived his life as if there was no God, and he dealt with his money as if there was no God. And then, lo and behold, God showed up, and he died. And you see, his money then goes to who? People who will squander it. People who will use it for their own benefit. Not anything he wanted to do with it. If you were paying attention to the reading from Ecclesiastes today, the author there, Solomon, says it this way. This is a life lived in utter vanity. To put his stock all in his barns and his wealth is a chasing after the wind. Are you uncomfortable now? You who wanted Jesus to give you some advice on financial security? And now he's come along, called out your covetousness and your insatiable desire for more, for more comfort? You see, this is absolutely our problem in this country and in Southern California. When it comes to our finances, when it comes to our financial situation, it is our idol. Our money is our idol. We fear, love, and trust money above all else, right? We fear losing it. We love having it, and we crave more of it. And we are secure in trusting it when it's in the bank. And when it's gone, all hope is gone. And we get awfully offended when we hear the Lord come after our wallets, telling us to stop living our lives like they depend on money, and they don't depend on his gracious hand. I heard an interesting podcast uh, this week where the conversation uh, dealt with these things. And the guy on the podcast, he said this, that a number of years ago, he was speaking with some pastors in Africa uh, who were amazed at how rarely the American church spoke of heaven. Because they said, it's amazing to us how often your eyes are far too fixed on this world. And it got me thinking, we do talk about heaven uh, a lot here, I think, at our church. But one of the things I've noticed in in our conversations about heaven is all too often the conversation goes like this. Yeah, but what, will I lose something? Will I still have this when I get to heaven? What if heaven doesn't have what I want it to have? Now, just for a second, stop there for a moment and think about the madness of that comment. Like, we're worried that we're going to be lacking something in heaven? Maybe we should ask the question this way. 
What if I were to tell you that in heaven, everything you've worked so hard for, all your money, all the glory you have in this world, everything you've sort of poured into this life, all of it is gone. You have none of it. But you see the face of Jesus and he smiles upon you. If that makes you uncomfortable, if that makes you nervous, if you don't like that picture of heaven, your idols are being exposed. The man on the podcast said this, as people become more materially blessed and wealthy, they become more focused on their best life now. Material self-sufficiency often convinces us of spiritual self-sufficiency. And those two are not the same thing. But you know, you asked for it. You asked Jesus to talk to you about your money. And instead, he just used the opportunity to expose your greed, your lack of satisfaction, and your idols. For you see, here's the thing with Jesus. He's not just coming for your wallet. He's coming for your heart. And when he arrives there, he is sad to find that there is not a cross, but the sign of a dollar. And so the Lord Jesus, he has to do this because you see, he's come to take it back. He's come to take your heart back. And he's doing it today by showing you your death-bound love for money and how your greed may look like it's giving you everything you've ever wanted in this life, only to make you more comfortable as it's separating you from his promises. You see, perhaps for us the problem is we have forgotten how the parable starts today. That the land of a man produced plentifully. That is, God had blessed him with everything he had. Perhaps we've forgotten that everything we have in our life is a gift to us from God. Martin Luther in, in the Catechism says it this way. God has made me and all creatures and has given me everything that I have. Body, family, work, everything. And he's done it out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy with no merit or worthiness of your own. He has given you your life. He has given you everything you have as a gift. What is more, when you hoard those gifts, he comes to you today with this parable to expose that and put that part of you to death. So that now you are in a place where you're finally realizing, what do I do with this? How do I handle this? I can't handle this. Lord, have mercy on me. And now he's got you where he wants you. Because that gracious giver has done just that. He's had mercy on you. Jesus says, have mercy on me. I've given up everything for you. I have left the riches and the wealth and the glory of heaven to put on your flesh so that I might die in your place and forgive your greedy sins and free you from your idols. I have bled and died for you so that I might purchase you with my blood and make you my own, says Jesus. I have spent everything in heaven to give you life and salvation. The reading today stops far too early and we were to if we were to read much further down we would hear jesus giving us something to hope in something to stand on in the face of letting go of our greed for there jesus says have no fear little flock for it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom 
and no idol, no money could purchase that kingdom for you. It was purchased for you with the blood of Christ. And now if Christ has done this for you, if he has purchased the kingdom of God for you and brought you into that kingdom, how much more is he going to take care of you and provide for you in this life? How much more is he going to give you your daily bread? Of course he will do this. So you want some practical advice with Jesus uh, from Jesus on this? Here's what he says. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Burn down the barns. Sell the farm. Give to those in need. Feed your family. Clothe the naked. Put your money in the plate. You want to get practical? Take what you have and give it to those in need. And then Jesus says, watch me provide for you and care for you. We're afraid to let go of this stuff. What about me, Jesus? What happens when I let go of these things and simply trust in you? And Jesus says, what about you? I died for you. It was my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, you of little faith, says Jesus. I am completely sufficient for you. And I will give you everything you need. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who provides for all of our needs, both of body and soul. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to trust in you. Not just to say we trust in you with our lips, but in fact to do it with our actions and our finances. Forgive us, Lord, for our, for our idolatry. And teach us, Lord, to trust you. For your Son, Jesus, has died for us and you have made us your own. In his name we pray. Amen. Having heard